You never have to do anything. Got to drive that point home. All of these things are your choice. Now, some of them are going to be hills to die on, you know, so you want to weigh those things carefully. What's the most important thing to you? Hello, I'm Carolyn, and this is What Doulas Know. I'm a doula, the mother of two, and for over 40 years, a registered nurse. My goal is to educate, support, and empower before, during, and after pregnancy with a special emphasis on labor and childbirth. All information presented in this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. The persons presenting the episodes are not licensed doctors. You should consult a qualified medical professional before making any decisions regarding your health, including any decisions based on information presented here. This episode is going to be actually part two of the birth plan. We had discussed the baby going through the labor process and delivery, and now we're going to talk about what the baby has to face (laughs) (laughs) as soon as it comes out. Because um, once again, I talk about my birth story, and uh, they literally took my baby away Um, and did everything, all of the interventions that the government or the hospital uh, policy said they had to do. And I finally had to ask for her two hours later and say, you know, can I see her now? Is that is that okay? So um, we're here again today with April Klein. Uh, she's a doula certified midwife that's been helping me with these episodes. And we're going to talk a little bit about baby care. We um, When we finish the birth plan, we had just expelled the placenta. <laughs> um, so I'm going to back up a little bit on that because I do want to go over the cord cutting. Oh, right. Because that can be a concern now. We're talking about whether to let, let it stop pulsating or um, to let the father do it or whoever. Mm-hmm. So, April, what is your experience with the cord cutting part of this birth plan? Right. So this is definitely something you want to discuss beforehand as part of your going over the birth plan options, right? Um, A lot of people say that they would like to leave the cord until it stops pulsing. And in my experience, that is a very uh, individual decision. Like whether that cord has stopped pulsing or not would depend upon the care provider's fingers on that. So for me, I would say in my birth plan, I will tell you when I'm ready to have the baby cut free. Okay. Right? It's just much cleaner. There's no way to question that or to say, well, it stopped pulsing, so we're cutting it, and it's been 10 seconds, right? Or you to later come back and feel like it was done too early or too late or whatever. You just say, I will tell you when I'm ready to have the baby cut free, right? That takes all the question out of it. Now, why would someone want to wait? Most people are like, well, whatever the care provider wants to do is fine with me. A little research would be a great idea here because there is some good physiological purpose in leaving the baby attached to the placenta for a period of time. It definitely allows things that the baby needs to come through. But it also, and not everyone understands this, it also works the other direction where the baby is actually sort of off-gassing things that it does not need back through the cord. So 
it's a an equalizing moment there where the things that are necessary come in and the things that are not go out. Uh, there are some hospitals or care providers who are concerned about higher bilirubin levels. If the baby's left attached, there was definitely a not great study done that showed that that was true. Um, I would just say do some good research around that and make your own best decision. Okay, so the baby comes out mm-hmm. attached to the cord, then right. the placenta comes out. And so there are options then for cord blood saving mm-hmm. or donating mm-hmm. and also placenta encapsulation. Sure. So that I feel is important to have in the, a birth plan so that the care provider can be ready right. for that. And the it's definitely good to give the care provider a heads up if you're going to be doing something unusual. Like normally the baby is cut free while the placenta is still inside. And then the placenta is released after that. That's what will happen if you don't make a preference another way. What you just described where the baby and the placenta are still attached by the umbilical cord uh, and the placenta is now out, that is what we would call a lotus birth which has gained some popularity recently, where that placenta just stays attached to the baby. It's wrapped in a chucks pad or in some sort of ceremonial fabric or whatever with some salt usually to keep it from spoiling until the mom feels like it's ready to be released or until the cord just shrivels up and the baby naturally releases. Um, You know, a lot of people don't do that, but it's an option. It's definitely on my birth plan as an option. Mm And something to be discussed. People are usually like, ew, why would you ever do that? But people also used to say that about leaving the baby attached for 10 minutes. So I like to discuss all of the options. I think that's true informed care. I think so too. And I think when you're doing the research, uh, you can also look at the number of mammals that Mm. eat their own placenta Mm -hmm. or keep it Mm -hmm. um, because of the the natural value of it. Um, So I think that is a very important thing to have as part of your birth plan. So nobody's Definitely surprised. a big discussion. There are some institutions that consider it medical waste and are not willing to release it. And um, certainly a lot of people that even if it's possible, will look at you like you have three heads if you ask. And placentophagy, there's not really great evidence for um, less postpartum depression or anything like that. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence, personal evidence, but no good study yet. But um, yeah, there are people that will say, well, in nature, animals eat their placentas, but that's also because you can't leave a trace because of predators. So I don't know. That that one is definitely a personal decision, but absolutely as a doula, you need to discuss all of those things with your clients and ask them to do their own research and make their best decision, which you will then support as their doula. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the baby is out uh, now in the dream world mm-hmm. of some people, the baby would come out and you would put the baby on the stomach and the baby would crawl up mm-hmm. to the mother mm-hmm. and um, start to nurse or just look at the mother mm-hmm. and, and bond. Mm-hmm. So some care facilities, though, are just obsessed with getting the eye ointment in, the vitamin K mm-hmm. injection, um, the hepatitis B mm-hmm. injection. Mm-hmm. We got a footprint. We got a way. We got a measure. So... In the birth plan, how do you come across as, uh, I just want my baby mm-hmm. for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, the eye ointment was for clid- chlamydia, chlamydia mm-hmm. and, and gonorrhea. gonorrhea. Right. And so if you've been tested that you absolutely don't have that, which they do test, 
Do you have to have that eye ointment? You never have to do anything, right? I right. mean, we've got to drive that point home. All of these things are your choice. Now, some of them are going to be hills to die on, right? You're going to put yourself in a position where now they're concerned about the baby getting an infection or, you know, so you want to weigh those things carefully. What's the most important thing to you? But the eye ointment is like a Vaseline Mm -hmm. and it smears across the whole eye, which makes the baby's vision blurry, which has been shown quite clearly to interrupt the bonding process. It's very hard to find someone's eyes and focus on them if you're a tiny little newborn, if your eyes are all gunky. So that would be one reason. The other reason for me is that I, again, go back to nature and I go, nature wants us to survive and have intact eyeballs. So what's the least interventive thing that we can do trusting that nature has a plan rather than, oh, thank goodness we came up with this eye ointment that only kills two things. Right. And I think when you do the research on that, as a nurse, I thought, well, that was brilliant Mm -hmm. for that person Mm -hmm. to come up with that because Mm -hmm. so many babies were becoming blind and everything. So I was real happy at first. Mm -hmm. And then as I researched, I thought, well, that's good for that time. But we're beyond that now. We don't have that anymore. So let's let that one go. Well, it's lowest common denominator. So the thinking is that even though the person has been tested, so the birthing individual has been tested and has been shown to be clear of gonorrhea and chlamydia, people are not forthcoming when they have affairs. So her partner could have had an affair with someone who had that, and she could now be infected later in her pregnancy and not know it, or she could have been not totally transparent about an affair that she was having and the same thing. So they're treating to the lowest common denominator. So I tell my clients, if you feel absolutely certain that the two of you are clean and that that test that was taken back intake is still valid, then that would be a really serious thing to consider whether you want to do an intervention that may not be necessary. I'll tell you that most states uh, at this point have no problem saying you don't need to do it and you can just use breast milk. Breast milk, yeah. So you can literally squirt some colostrum either into a spoon and dribble it in or straight into the eye. And I know it might skew some people out, but I'll tell you that breast milk is antifungal, antimicrobial, antibacterial. It will kill way more things than chlamydia and gonorrhea. And it is soothing and hydrating. And that eye ointment is not. And it's not going to cause difficulty with vision. No. And it also is great for conjunctivitis. Like if they get a little in, or like a little infected tear duct, mm-hmm. it will take care of that as well. Yeah. And it's right there and it's free. Okay. So the next one is vitamin K. Mm-hmm. So I have done some research on this and um, you can have none. You can have it done immediately or you can delay it. And the vitamin K is for the bleeding possibility of a of a bleed in the brain right. or another part. So vitamin K is actually a hill to die on. If you are going to get really clear that you do not want vitamin K shot, this in a lot of institutions can be a hill to die on because it's very scary. A brain bleed can occur and a baby can die. And if you are in an institution where that has happened anytime in the last couple of years, this is going to be a serious concern mm-hmm. and validly so. If it was a really boring, straightforward birth where the head didn't go through trauma and there was no forceps used and no vacuum and all those things, the chances of of that are small, right? But it's, again, lowest common denominator. 
And most people think, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a shot. Oh, well, you know, better to be safe than sorry and just live through a little shot. For me, again, going back to nature, if babies are low in vitamin K for the first seven days and it slowly builds over those seven days until they've reached a high enough level that there's no chance that they would have a bleeding incident, then I think that there must be a reason that babies are low in vitamin K for the first seven days. And we just aren't smart enough to understand why. So here we are thinking that we are fixing a problem and really we have no idea what we're causing iatrogenically by trying to fix something. Mm Right? So I have a pet theory, and I'm really hoping someone will do a study on it at some point, that the brain requires a bloodbath to finish developing, and those first seven days are crucial. And the bloodbath can only happen if the blood is thin enough to make it up to the brain well. If we go thickening the blood, it's harder for the blood to get up to the brain. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Maybe. But I have a huge amount of trust in, nat- in nature and in, in, in our creator. I think that there's a reason. Right. Right? So if you're, if you're going to circumcise, which is a whole other podcast, yep. if you're going to circumcise or if you had a traumatic birth, then those would be two reasons that you absolutely need to get vitamin K on board. If you're not concerned about either of those two things or you're going to wait until after the seventh day to do the circumcision, then the only real issue would be driving the baby home if you had a hospital or birth center birth. And they'll tell you, well, if you have an accident, the baby could bleed to death. Right? Yeah. So those are the factors to be weighed. But just know that there are some institutions that will make it very clear, like, you're going to have to sign against medical advice if you choose not to have the vitamin K shot. Yeah. So if you do choose or they are going to Mm -hmm. um, really – urge you to do that. You can also delay it for 24 hours and say, when I'm nursing my baby, come in and mm-hmm. just give the shot there and yeah. the baby won't even know. Sure. Um, so I think there are things that you can do. But once again, we have said it over and over, do your research, but not to the point of making yourself crazy. Right. Because you can find a study that will support, support anything <laughs> you want it to. And use your doula. Yeah, use and your use your doula. resources. And mm-hmm. the doulas that um, we use that, that April has with A Birth with Spirit, we have an amazing amount of res- of resources and references mm-hmm. for other practitioners or other um, people that are more knowledgeable or have a specialty in mm-hmm. that area. So that is one thing that with a doula is um, – if she can't give you the answer, we can find somebody that can. Absolutely. Um, the hepatitis B vaccine, hepatitis B is big right now. Um, that's also one that you would have a very hard time getting around. So in our region, it's not as hard, but in some regions, it's very difficult. Um, Cincinnati, for instance, has a very high hepatitis rate. Mm-hmm. So there are a little bit more of sticklers there. And that, again, would be a discussion to have with your care provider. Do a little research. Talk to your doula. Think through your risk factors as a family and whether it's worth getting into. Right. And I think, too, um, most people have had a visit with a pediatrician um, or the pediatrician comes to the hospital Mm -hmm. if you can do that. 
And they are also a plethora of information on what they like to see in their practice. And as you interview the pediatricians, you can make a decision on how they feel about vaccines and different things that different interventions, because maybe as you go down the road, you don't want to all of a sudden get to a block where, Mm. oh, you've been my pediatrician for six months, but I didn't know you believed that. So that's a really good point. How, I don't know that most people even know that that's a thing. Like you can go and interview pediatricians while you're pregnant and find one that is as close to your philosophy about specific things that you care a lot about as you can. And then make sure that they will accept care of your baby, whatever your decisions are. There are some pediatricians that will not accept care of a baby that hasn't had a vitamin K shot, for instance. So that's really important to know. Okay. The um, the next thing is talking about feeding the baby, mm-hmm. and um, it's not as hard to deal with now because you get to keep your baby, mm-hmm. but sometimes my mother said that uh, they took my brother back in the back and mm-hmm. fed him sugar water, mm-hmm. and then when she tried to nurse it, it was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. He was full and mm-hmm. didn't want anything to do with it. So I think that you need to be clear is if you're going to breastfeed, or if you're if you want a pacifier or not or any bottle um, things, mm-hmm. and we do doulas do know a lot about breastfeeding, but we also have resources mm-hmm. for lactation specialists, mm-hmm. etc. There's a lot of fear around breastfeeding. I feel now, and a lot of pressure. So the saying "breast is best" is lovely. I feel like it served its purpose, which was to raise awareness that breastfeeding is maybe the optimal thing to do, right? And if you have any concerns that you are not feeding your baby, there are two things. One is to make sure that you are not just succumbing to the idea that your body is a failure. Oftentimes, women will show up in my office feeling like they're not feeding their babies well, by breast and really all it is is that they're terrified that their bodies aren't going to make enough or the right milk for their baby. So that's just a discussion and um, unfortunately a deep mistrust of their own bodies. But the other thing is it shouldn't be hard. It, it should be a little work. I mean, you're both learning a new skill. But if it's hard, you need help. It is not something that you should feel badly about getting some help. It's a new skill. You didn't just get on a bike and take off. You learned how. So why not get somebody to help you learn how to keep your balance, right? It's There are people who live to help people breastfeed. So find somebody, preferably prenatally, and have them on board so that they're just a phone call away whatever time of day or night you need them. That's That's what lactation consultants love to do. Right? It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be painful. Yeah, it, it is a natural process. It should, it should be somewhat natural, again, knowing that it's new. Yeah. 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 One thing I do want to talk about is um, the breast crawl <laughs> after the baby is born, because that absolutely fascinated mm. me when I first saw it on the internet. And I don't think I realized that a baby could even do that. And when I have talked to other people about it, they're like, "Uh uh-uh, no way, that is not true. (laughs) So on breastcrawl.org, you can see this happening. And April, have you ever experienced this where the baby came out and just actually crawled up the mother's body? I actually have, and it was really powerful. It changed me as a care provider because I just had a new respect for babies. 
a newborn literally crawling from the stomach all the way up to the breast, finding that nipple, figuring out how to attach himself. He was the king of the mountain. And that's not the way that I think most babies get to feel when they come out. Oftentimes I see the baby's put right on the chest and then they're sort of positioned and then the the breast is grabbed with one hand on the back of the baby's head with the other and then it's sort of like let's screw them on to each other and I just think about that as a person like if someone did that to me first of all it would feel really invasive and not a very nice welcome to a new place that I've just been invited into and then third of all it's really disempowering I'm now being taught from the very first moments of my life that I can't feed myself, that I have to have other people screw me onto something so that I can be fed. It's just a horrible thing when the opportunity is there for the baby to figure it out, maybe with some assistance, maybe not, and feel like if they need to be fed, they can get fed. Yeah, I think too, the one thing that I kept um, wanting to do was just put my hand under Mm -hmm. the baby's bottom and just kind of help him up like I'm helping him (laughs) up on this. And I realized, as you said, you're giving this child and the mother the freedom to do something at their own pace Mm. to learn together that they are a team Mm -hmm. and that they really don't need an outside intervention. Yeah, And I think as you said, that is extremely powerful for mm-hmm. everybody involved. Yeah. And it gives the woman a chance to say, oh, I I did this right. Mm. Look, this baby is able to do this. Yeah. And finally, we work together. We work we worked it out together. And think of all of the other things on a physiological level. Let's not even get into the psycho-emotional spiritual level, but just on a straight up physiological level the amount of things that are happening during that excruciating moment while the baby's just nuzzling and licking and bobbing and falling off and trying to figure it out and the tongue's coming in and out and then they're sort of like nuzzling under the armpit and then you just you're like sitting on your hands trying not to screw them on you know definitely there is so much happening and again i don't think that we are smart enough to even understand an eighth of what's happening. But the things that we do know is that the breast is actually putting things into that colostrum that are antibodies for exactly what everyone in that room has, that has the right fat content for what that baby needs. And the way that the baby is communicating that to the mother's body is through nuzzling and licking the nipple, right? So if we interrupt that, that that, there's no chance for that to happen. You would think that it might take a second for the the breast to make that perfect colostrum for that baby. And if we supersede that and screw the baby on, we have now messed up that process. The other thing is babies are laying down a bacterial foundation for their gut that will last them a lifetime. They get one chance. So they come through the most bacteria-laden part of a woman's body. And there's no accident that the breast is right next to the other second most bacteria-laden part of a body, right? The armpit. I always ask my women, please, please, please don't wear deodorant and antiperspirant. They're like, oh, smell terrible. I'm like, yes, awesome. 
Good. Smell up the room. That's great. We can diffuse whatever. (laughs) Yeah. That's what the baby wants. The baby needs. So if the baby falls off and lands in the armpit, yay, we've added some more bacterial layers, right? There's so many things happening. And then on the like the other levels, just like you said, just the idea that we can work this out, baby. You and I've got this. If we go messing around with that and taking that moment, that power away from them, the message that we're sending is you need a professional to help you. You can't do this. We don't even give them a breath to try. Yeah. We just jump in and go, oh, we've got this here. Do it like this. And then we can check the box and say, okay, we did that. It's very important, too, for the um, internal control of the temperature for the baby um, because uh, my son was born prematurely, and he could not regulate his body temperature Mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. But when they are crawling up with the mother's temperature and their temperature, they don't need a warming blanket over them. They are learning to regulate their temperature and their internal thermometer as to what is needed. Babies will regulate their temperatures both up and down according to their mother's body temperature. So typically we would suggest get the baby skin to skin on the mom and put a blanket over the two of them. Mm -hmm. When the baby's actively crawling, they're burning enough calories and their body temperature is regulating enough that that's usually not a problem. You just check their chest and make sure they're not getting cold. Here's an interesting tidbit, though. So that's true for the mother, that the baby's temperature will go up and down. That's not true with the dad. If the baby is on the dad, the body temperature will regulate up, but it won't necessarily regulate down, which is very interesting. There's just a little difference between Mm -hmm. mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So we covered the birth plan part two Mm -hmm. of the baby stuff. So um, once again, all the resources will be on our website. And I sure do appreciate you being here, April. It has been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of What Doulas Know. You can learn more about the show and my guests at whatdoulasknow.com. Please rate and review this show. It helps get more exposure and reach additional people. Peace to all. Thanks. Thanks.